Welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast for dance teachers and dance studio owners who have a passion for the art of dance. Hello, welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast, Season 3. My name is Stacey Morgan and joining me is the wonderful Regold. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Stacey. I'm excited to be back for Season 3. Season 3. And it's our Season 3, but for a lot of people, it's a brand new season of dance. It's that time of year, right? Everybody's well and truly in the thick of it, in the trenches, as I like to say. And I hope everybody is filled with gratitude. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As we start off this new season. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Soul. Soul is going to be back bigger than ever next year at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, August 3 to 5. Ree, what are you most looking forward to about Soul in Las Vegas? Uh, You know, this year was the first time we did Soul. It was the premiere of Soul. And it was just so, like, special. And it's for dancers. It's for their parents. It's also for the teachers. And it's non-competitive. It's no numbers, no just dancing for the joy of it and learning about career options and colleges and I I can't explain the how do I want to say it like like it was a success beyond your expectations so your question was what am I looking forward to for next year bigger and better I can't tell you how many things you know and our listeners will know that when you're putting on an event, whether it's a recital or something else, you're sitting there thinking about all the things you could do mm. better or different the next time. That's mm. how I sat there this time. So, yes, that's that's what's exciting about Soul. So much to look forward to. You can get your hands on early bird pricing now. It is August 3rd to the 5th. Please make sure you put it in your diary. You do not want to miss it. And if you have, uh, you know, keen, enthusiastic, passionate dancers, you want to make sure they are there as well, along with their parents. And who doesn't want to go to Las Vegas? I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I'm ready for Vegas. I'm I'm ready for the West Coast. We've been on the East Coast with the conference and most everything else I do for the last three years. Heading west, young man, and looking forward to it. <laughs> was referring to myself as the young man. I thought you were referring to um, the village people. <laughs> <laughs> Life is peaceful there. <laughs> I love it. Today we're talking about brand new seasons. Of course, we know that so many of our listeners are right in the thick of uh, registration and classes starting and brand new faculty bringing in new members, making sure that everybody is, you know, getting on with the culture and getting into the spirit and joining the community that we're building within our dance studios. And sometimes we get so used to doing what we've always done in the dance studio that we don't really give ourselves a little bit of breathing space and a little bit of perspective, a little bit of that kind of step back and see the big view to see what we can do in our studios to make us different, to make us unique and to keep us always evolving and changing. Re, what were some of the things um, growing up that you found that your mum did in her studio that made her different from everybody else? Um, if, 
if if we were to ask her that question, I think her response would be she went above and beyond when it came to that year-end performance recital. Mm-hmm. She was known in her early days for um, uh, more elaborate recitals and themes and also a sense of uh, the shorter recital. Mm-hmm. Therefore, parents would would love it. It was like a Broadway show. So I think it was her show that made her stand out. And I'd also say that my mother had a passion that people could feel in her classroom or when they walked into the studio. And I think everybody trusted her to give them the best Mm. that she could give them. If that's, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but I know it was a part of her recipe when I look back in retrospect. Yeah. And so much of what you said, Re, is exactly that. It's about her having a really strong sense of self and a really strong sense of what her studio was about and, and working towards that goal. I think sometimes we spend a bit of time looking at what everybody else is doing and thinking, oh, you know, what are we going to do and, you know, trying new programs and doing new things and not kind of sticking to that sense of self. So it's not surprising that your mum had a super successful studio knowing that that was her thing, kind of building on that every year, being the person that's known for the spectacular show and, you know, and growing the business in that way. I'm interested to see and and to hear if our listeners really know what that is for them in their studios because so many of the coaching clients that I that I speak to they're not quite sure what it is that makes them unique. They know that they do a good job, they know that they have, you know, ballet, jazz and tap classes, they know that they do a recital at the end of the year, but they don't really have the <laughs> the one thing that they kind of go, this is me, this is this is what we do and this is how we're different to everybody else. And I think that's one of the keys to a really successful business, knowing knowing what that is. And, okay, so uh, we we're, we're always go back to this thread, but it's okay. It's a matter of uh, confidence to step out of the box that everybody is in. And mm. and to be able to analyze and look at yourself and go, okay, what am I the best at? Or what does my school offer or my team offer that's like better or, or stronger or makes everybody happier to do? And, and doing more of that rather than, how do I want to say this? comparing yourself to the other studios and what they offer and offering exactly mm. the same thing. Cause now, now you're competing in that same market. If you create a different market, if you're awesome with early childhood and preschool and you create that market and everybody else around you is into making award-winning dancers, you're going to hone in on a whole crowd of people that's going to be your brand and what you bring to the table. Absolutely. And 
I used preschool as an example, but it could be anything. It could be your hip hop program. It could be, what is it that you bring to the table that's outstanding? Or what would you like that to be Mm. rather than what's everybody else doing? And okay, now I got to make sure I have a good contemporary teacher. I got to make sure I add acrobatics now because everybody's adding acrobatics. No, what is it? I'm not saying don't have those things. Mm. But if everybody has those things, like you started off this question, what's going to make you stand out? Yeah. And not being afraid to really hone into that niche, whatever that ends up being, if that is preschool, if that is hip hop, if that is acrobatics, whatever it's going to be. Because if you become the the go-to place in your area for that genre or for that, you know, whatever that thing ends up being, if it's for the recital, then you get to charge what you're worth for that as well. Because if you're the best and people are coming to you for the best preschool program, then you can charge more than the people down the street and your business can be more profitable. And then you can put that money into, you know, trying new programs or getting new costumes or, you know, whatever you want to do to grow your business. Yes, and and decide what's going to, this is an important part of it, it's the earthy, crunchy side of it, a part of what you decide your niche is also should include what makes you the happiest, what Mm. do you enjoy doing the most, not what's the biggest income thing. Yeah, Because if you get burned out of the biggest income thing, it's not going to be the biggest income thing anymore. Exactly. But if you're, if you're passionate about something and you have to build it, that's a better place to be in. The momentum only will get stronger than making a decision based on finances. Absolutely. And I work or with... Or here, I'll ask. Oh, sorry. No, I will no, I want to add one more. Thing. <laughs> or what other people think you should do. Oh, that's a whole podcast topic on its own. Because how many uh, I, classes did I start in the early days of my studio? Because Mrs. Jones said you should do salsa. Mrs. You know Murphy said you should do hip hop. You know, and well, I'll add to that. We'll get a little sarcastic. You should do salsa, and I bet I get to bring you 10 students. Let's do uh-huh. it. And then they don't have any students. And by the way, their daughter is busy on that night, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just you and the salsa teacher. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think a lot of people or sometimes we structure what we do based on the input Mm. and that it needs to be more about what our instinct is telling us, especially if that input isn't feeling right to you based on your knowledge. Yeah. Stick to what it is that you know and your instinct is telling you and come up with a way to always... I was the president of Dance Masters of America. It's got 20-something chapters around the country and Canada. And people would come up with ideas, either that we would have 
tried before, but they weren't around when we tried them. Mm-hmm. Or um, things that would be needed to like be discussed more. And I'd look at them and I said, I'd say that's certainly something I consider, and we'll discuss it further. And I could move on rather than feeling any guilt. Mm-hmm. Of saying, which we shouldn't feel guilt anyway, but saying, oh, we tried that idea before or hurting someone's feelings. Yeah. Because they are. Someone. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) We're interrupting each other like mad. We've been out of practice. (laughs) Go ahead, Stacey. I'm I'm turning it your way. Well, I was going to say they are coming to us because they care. Right, people who don't care about our business don't give us business suggestions. They're, you know, too busy living their life. So the people that do come to us, yes, they do care about their child, but they also do care about the studio. They want to improve. They think that Irish dancing is going to be the next big thing for our studio or whatever it happens to be. So they do come from a place of of love and and care and wanting us to succeed. So it's important to remember that as well when you're, you know, because I my immediate thought is, um. You know, another thing I'm not doing right. Like, oh, another thing I've got to add. More work for me. Like, I don't necessarily always see it from the side that it's intended. So perhaps flipping the switch there a little bit and remembering that these people are looking out for you and are doing their best to to help you grow your business is important too. Yes, I agree. I think that sometimes we let that voice in our head say, similar to what you just said i'm working so hard i can't believe they want more from me or or they think they know more about my business Uh, that's that's uh i'm not saying that's an unnatural reaction i think it's a trained reaction Mm. in society but you can't you gotta let that voice go because you're right more than likely they are looking out for your business and in no way, shape, or form was it meant to say you're not good enough or you're not trying hard enough. Yes. That's the emotional side of who we are and what I work every day to have teachers better understand yes. or, or business owners. But they seem to like time these questions and these requests when you are right, like at this time of year, when you're right in the thick of it, you've written a new schedule, you've got new teachers, you're starting, like everything's new and exciting already. And then they say, have you ever thought of, or they try and tell you at the like stage door of after the recital <laughs> and you're just like, get out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to look at you. I don't want to talk to me. you. <laughs> I had someone come to me at the conference mentioning no names. And she said to me, we were uh, getting done with the gala. And she said, I have so many ideas to make this gala even better. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm up on the stage, just finished. It felt really good. Right. So I, I looked at her, I go, we'll talk about that some other time right <laughs> just left it and walked away yeah i know her attention was probably positive but boy you know i was just, just at least you didn't say get out of my face <laughs> i don't have that in me no. um neither, this is neither what do I'm, i like i'm the last person but wait 
it's you can think it. My mm. grandmother used to say, "It's okay to think it; you just can't say it." Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I want an update now. I'm intrigued as to when you have that conversation because I'm sure she's going to be knocking down your door. Has she already? I don't know who. It, I don't know who we're talking about. No, oftentimes when this is a key for people who are listening, oftentimes it's the heat of the moment. Mm. And that if you say, hey, would you send me an email about that? Or would you mind setting up an appointment? I'd like to discuss that with you. It drops 90% of the time. So Mm. you're actually better off if ultimately you'd rather not even discuss this. You're better off saying, let's set up a time to discuss this. The best one is saying, hey, can you put that in an email and send it to me? Mm -hmm. They'll never do it. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's positive or not, or that we're telling people (laughs) um, the right thing here. But yeah, I'm telling you some tricks of the trade. (laughs) And the next time you say to me, Ray, yeah, can you put that in an email? I'm, my, my brain's going to go, hmm, <laughs> I better write that email. <laughs> so I guess, you know, for, for listeners that are heading into the season and heading into that busy, busy period, really honing in and narrowing in and, you know, putting 100% effort behind who you are and who your studio is, because no one can be you, no one can copy you, your studio is going to be unique unique for its own you know fabulous things that you have built within it and really really hone into that really you know throw all of your weight behind that because that's what makes you people are coming to you for that and I think it's also important to remember that sometimes we know what those things are that make us unique but sometimes we do a pretty poor job of communicating that to the marketplace so if you do have a brilliant preschool program then make sure that's the thing that you're advertising make sure that's the thing that you're talking about on social media make sure that's the thing that all the photos are of because if you have a great preschool program but all of your photos on Instagram are of your kids with trophies then no one's going to come to you for your preschool program if and and vice versa if there's only little kids smiling there and you've got some competition mum from across town that wants to join you you know, they're not going to if it's just um, photos of kids with fairy wings. So really get into um, understanding what that is for you, what your unique selling point is, and then really think about your communication. Think about the way that you are telling the marketplace who know nothing about dance, who know nothing about dance studios. And, you know, that's just their child spinning around the living room saying, I, I, I want to go to dance. Think about how that parent needs to be communicated with and how you can make sure that they really know that if they choose your school, they're going to get this. And for our listeners, most of those parents are never thinking about, or actually, if you ask them, they tell you they were slightly afraid of their child becoming a professional dancer or even an award-winning dancer. They're not coming to us for that. They're coming to us for the joy of dance. If you said to me, what would I say to sell my product the most right now? That's it. What joy dance brings into the students' lives. And notice I said students because um, 
I don't always want to say kids. I think there's a big market for adults as well. And it's the same reason for the joy Mm -hmm. when it comes to them as well. And then all the extra stuff that you are, whether you have an outstanding ballet program, uh, a competitive team that is outstanding, that's the frosting on the cake. But the cake, which is the foundation, is all that other stuff. Yeah. And can I, I want to take everybody back to one thing that you said. You know, you said something about uh, the competitive kid uh, from the other side of town. Mm -hmm. I want everybody who's listening to hear this thought. If I get the student from across town who has now danced with that teacher for 10 years, it might make me feel good. Like, okay, this kid is coming my way. and I somehow pulled her away from where she was. But reality is you're pulling people who are not loyal. Mm-hmm. So do you even want to market for those people Mm -hmm. or do you totally want to focus on building your own base enrollment and filtering the good ones or the what, not the good ones. I I take that back. The (laughs) ones who want this in the directions they want to go. Yes. Because I do know, at least, you know, I'm speaking for the States, but my guess would be it's the same in Australia, that there's sometimes a sense of accomplishment when you pull four kids from the studio up the street and they're from their intensive program and they were the stars and now they came to you. But in reality, You've just pulled four people who have no sense of you, your history, your beliefs, your foundation, your culture, the parents into your vibe. And what if they're not right for the vibe? Yeah. And how much hard work is it going to be getting them on board with the vibe? You won't get them. You might get a couple, but... Mm. Come on, let's think about it. If they were negative people or they were not pleased because their daughter didn't get this or their son didn't get that or whatever, think about it as they're saying that to you. How long will they then take before they feel that way about you? You, yeah, (laughs) and before they leave you. (laughs) Go to the next studio off the street. Yeah. And their vibe, while I'm at it, and then we'll move on to another topic, their vibe is also going to spread among the parents if they spend any time in your lobby. Mm-hmm. Or they go in talking about the school that they came from. That's teaching your people that you can talk about teachers and you don't have to respect your child's teachers. Like there's a lot going on Mm. in the process of taking, not taking, but making it a goal to pull from other schools. You're, you really, I'd suggest if that's your goal, that you get yourself a good shrink because in about four (laughs) years or five years, you'll be in the mental breakdown stage. (laughs) If that's your goal. 
I do say it though, Ree, because some people's entire business models are based around not training preschoolers and just train like just training elite dancers that they pull from other places. It does exist and we all know those studios that exist around. It's definitely not my studio and I would hope that a lot of the listeners that follow you and that follow the podcast wouldn't also be those studios, but they, they are, they are around, they are out there and it is a business model that, that must work because they continue to do it. it. (laughs) Yes, but it's, it's a world that I understand. My mother had some of that in her where it was about trying to be the best to produce professional dancers who moved on to professional careers, which which fed something about inside of her that needed to be fed. But in the end, her studio was small because her reputation was so strong that you only went there to become a pro. Mm. Like, like it, 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 are you outclassing yourself from the average person who's looking for dance? So, so yes, there are some cases where that business model works and it's profitable, but oftentimes, some of those studios are the ones that are financially in trouble. Mm, doing it the hardest. Yeah. Because it's, it, the overhead is so high and these kids are taking so many classes and there's no other kids supplementing mm. that. It, you, you follow what I'm saying. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, yeah. Like I look at the other kids. I look at the the more intensive program as the extra, the gravy. What I'm counting on is the school population. Yes. To determine that I'm a financial success. Because mm. hear this, I can't afford this more intensive program unless this one, this recreational, whatever you want to call it, non-intensive. Yes is happy and content. Yes. That's your bread and butter. That's what keeps the lights on. Yeah, it would be very hard to exist without that. And that's something to think about as well when it comes to your scheduling for this year, and everyone's obviously got their schedules all sorted, but thinking now about those classes that you have running that are perhaps not producing your bread and butter and not holding on to those classes throughout the entire season, making a loss. I think this is a really good time for reflection. Okay, I, I, I want to take this on because I, I do agree with you. Um, one thing that I suggest that we do, uh, this is coming out in September, and I would think at this point you'd have a concept of the classes that the enrollment is low in. Mm. and that now I'm going to tell you two levels of this now would be the time to market those classes if you've been marketing the whole school and everything you have to offer great because that got all the other enrollment in there yeah but now you want to direct people to that 
3.30 Wednesday pre-ballet that only has three kids in it and sell that class yeah. and see if you can't build it up and figure out where all of those niches are and and market and sell those. Now, if that doesn't work, I'm a guy who says, okay, how can I hang on to these three kids or two of the three kids mm-hmm. and use this time period for an income generating class. Yes. So I I try to find some sort of class that would work for the kids who are enjoying it or offer them something different at the discount for a little while so I don't lose them. But here's what I would do at that point is look at Wow, my uh, budding ballerina class, my max is 14. I have 14 and two on a waiting list. My thought is it's the beginning of the season. I'm taking that time slot, putting in a second budding ballerina class. Yeah. And even if I can get seven kids in that class and it's a break even or it's a slight profit, I'm better off than running that class that now I've marketed <laughs> and that wait, what you have to understand as a studio owner is in another year, that class may work. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not saying to you, your idea was bad or that that wasn't a smart thing to do. It's on this year. This is what's working. I'm sure everybody can relate to this. Yeah. I was talking, talking to, uh, the Canadian members of IDEA today. And this was a trend in Canada. They're, I'll call it six to 11, 12 year olds, all want ballet right now. And for the last two years, they wanted hip hop and jazz and all of this. Wow. So they've had, had to cut back on the hip hop and incorporate more ballet into their schedule. Now I said, do, do you know why? Nobody knows why. Mm. But for the last two or three years, they've been looking for hip hop teachers and all these other people. Yep. Because that's where the demand was. And the demand is for good old classical ballet right now. Yeah. And I love that they're leaning into that and, and not going, no, this is what we've done in the past and this is what works and blah, blah, blah. Even though they've only got two or three kids enrolled, they're leaning into that that trend and going with it. The thing is, I think anything we did in the past is up for questioning now. Yes. I think post-pandemic blasted the business model of what we thought a dance studio should be. And when I say that, there are people who might be listening going, oh, I wish it was the way it was. I think possibilities are way more right now than they were pre-pandemic. Yeah. And and there's so many new curriculums. I mean, if you decided you wanted to run a new preschool program in different styles, there's three different curriculums that you could learn and teach. You could learn a curriculum for teaching kids with disabilities and learning differences. You can learn a a TAP certification. You can do an acrobatic certification. The possibilities 
endless. Yeah. It's letting go of what's comfortable and what the old business model is. And hear this. It's keeping what was good about the old business model as well. But understanding that that if you were a model, uh, let's say I'm a nine or 10 month season and I put on a recital at the end of the year and that's what you want back, I'm going to say that's good. And hopefully you'll be able to survive with that. But in reality, you could have more than that Mm. if you're willing to expand your horizons. Yes. Yeah. And I'll add just real fast because I bet it's the same way where you are. Some parents don't want to make a commitment to that business model that was pre-pandemic. Some people don't want to make any commitments now that things have been pulled away from them, right? Right. It's hard yes, to... and, and you're committing to a few thousand dollars in costume payments over a 10-month period, and those parents are looking and going, oh, my God, we didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. And whether, whether or not you're prepared to help them out if anything should go wrong doesn't matter to them. Yeah. It, it, their fear is going to keep them from doing this 10-month program. Yes. And for those listening, and then I'll give you a chance to talk because I feel like I've been on a roll. (laughs) You might be that same way with your own child's activity. Mm. So keep that in mind when people are like reacting differently than they did before. If you had to sign your child up for 10 months of something and it was like a you know, a big budgeted item, you might be questioning it just like those parents are. Yeah. We've covered okay, a lot I'm today. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> and the podcast episode is like double what it normally is, but it's been good fun, Ray. I want to say I enjoy this and uh, happy to be back. So happy to be back. Season three. And can we just have a moment, because we should have done this at the beginning, but we didn't, just to talk about our live episode, which was the the first episode for this season. Talking together live in person. How much fun was that? At the Dance Life Teacher Conference. I loved it. I loved it too. uh, Having a live audience. I'm uh, into doing that more often if we get a chance. Yeah, let's do it. An Australian live version. Now let's make that happen. Ooh, that's a great idea. I've just planted that seed. And he didn't say, can you put that in an email? (laughs) (laughs) No, because I'm into going to Australia. All right, let's make that happen. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. And I want to say, enjoy your journey. Thank you for joining us for Regold's Dance Life Podcast. Learn more about joining the International Dance Entrepreneurs Association, the Dance Life Teacher Conference, and the Dance Life Retreat Center at regold.com or follow Regold's Dance Life on Facebook. Enjoy the journey. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 